yes today is uh, february 10 2023 and i'm going to try to do a reading today i'm up on time i just got off the phone with my brother um i said my brother my, my good not my blood brother my brother in my spiritual brother and um i've been stud- studying all day but i need to if i want to mitigate or avoid feeling guilty i tonight i got to if i want to mitigate feeling guilty tonight or avoid feeling guilty tonight i have to read now so i'm gonna do a reading from um born for dead by lori guns the chapter that we're looking at right now we're about halfway through the book <laughs> and the, uh, it's called kingston farewell which is interesting that halfway through the book Oh crap, I haven't reached part two. There's a I just flipped through the page and I see that there's a part two that I haven't reached as yet. Um at the at the risk of going down a huge rabbit hole with tributaries of rabbit hole and branches of rabbit holes. I just got back from Jamaica um on Saturday and I really need to do a brain dump of the trip as soon as possible so you know something should i do the brain dump or should i read the book you know let me read the book and then i'll do the brain dump for next time it's only fair to the to the reading so let's jump into kingston farewell and i'm a little bit hungry too but i should be wearing glasses no no glasses and in the dark basement <laughs> torture but let's go. The Green Bay Massacre. So reading Kingston Farewell. That's a chapter in Born for Dead by Laurie Guns. And today is... is I'm going to re-repeat myself. I know. Re-repeat. Because there's such a word as re-repeat. Like the rain is falling. As if the rain does anything but falling. Why pre who this? Alright. Just uh, um, uh, wait. Yeah, February 10, 2023. It's a Friday. It's a Friday. All right. Kingston Farewell. The Green Bay Massacre and the short-lived gang truce. Damn, I start counting words already. Come, let's pretend that you can read. At least at the five-year-old level. Kingston Farewell. The Green Bay Massacre and the short-lived gang truce, it sparked, were soon forgotten in the nightmare of the 1980 election. There were 889 murders that year, over 500 more than were reported in the previous year, and most of them stem from political warfare. I'm just trying that thing here. I've got to try this, 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 read, this, this way of presenting things like this lady I heard on World is One Way On, Way On News. She, she read the news so dramatic. She read the news as if she's she having a conversation with you. She's not delivering the news. She's having a discussion. Which is pretty interesting. Let me see if I can remember what she did. In you know, I, I, I no, I can't do it because you'd have to pre-read it and and kind of under know what what is coming next, and I, I don't. So let me go back to my five-year-old reading and sorry to insult, sorry for insulting five-year-olds. In April, thirty men dressed in combat geez, combat camouflage assaulted a JLP dance on Gold Street. In April, 
30 men dressed in combat camouflage assaulted a JLP dance on Gold Street, the boundary line between Southside and Tel Aviv, killing four people and wounding 11. Jamaica's experiment in democratic, and you see, it's democratic, but I see demonic, but Jamaica's experience in democratic socialism was coming to the end, to an end in what Michael Manley called an ale of bullet and a river of blood. Let me do it in Michael Manley voice. A ale of bullet and a river of... No, Jesus Christ, forget it. Michael Manley, sorry. A ale of bullet and a river of blood. The 1980 campaign also brought the first murder of of a political candidate. The PMP's Roy McGann and his bodyguards were killing Garden Town. I didn't even know Roy McGann. And if anybody say I said that, I'm going to deny it. Not because it's on this um, podcast, in quotes, that will live in him for me. <laughs> will live eternally on the internet. All right. The PMP's Roy McGann and his bodyguards were killed in Garden Town a village in the Blue Mountain foothills of, above Kingston in a, in a late-night gun battle with a JLP mob. Police were there, supposedly to protect the candidate, but the, but the last words that McGann's bodyguard shouted were, The police are firing on us. Uh, yeah. Another ghastly riot erupted in Spanish Town where Manley and D.K. Duncan were scheduled to address a PMP rally. On his way... All right, phone is ringing pause all right that was my wife calling should i rant about when 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 your other half your beloved other half call you and they have a habit to call you and not pay attention to you it's like she'll call me my phone ring it's my wife answer the phone hello she's not saying anything hello and you hear her like just so is he turning or not is he turning? So she's having, she just needs me on the phone. That's all. But she's not having a conversation with me. You know? Oh, hello, hello. After a while, when you're like, hello, 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 hello. Hey, hey, hey. Talk to me. Speak. You call me. Use words. <laughs> I'm trying to do a podcast and I run, run away. And you just call me and just silent. And just expecting me with my ba 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 mouth. You just jump on the phone and say, hey, you blah, 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 and just take over the conversation. Yeah, all right? So, yeah, that's what happened. When you're in love and married and in love, I guess that's how it works. All right, see, I make sure that I'm trying to polish it off nice and pretty so I don't, I'm not telling the dog, go over, I need this corner tonight. All right, so where were we? We're still reading Born for the Kingston Farewell. Da, 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 da. Manly was all right. So we're talking about the another ghastly riot erupted in Spanish Town, where Manley and DK Duncan were scheduled to address a PMP rally. On his way to the town square, Manley was stopped by a detachment of police who warned him that soldiers had already fired into the crowd. Although the melee made it hard to tell exactly where the shots were coming from, Manley took the police at their word and was horrified to think the army was now shooting at its own people. But he and DK, Ian Duncan refused to back down, and they drove onto the, ta- the, the square, debating what to do next. The discussion suddenly became irrelevant. 
man recall in his book struggle in the periphery a new burst of gunfire started it was coming from every direction some witnesses claimed that duncan drew his own gun and started shooting back another first for a political candidate uh, you know what i need to not rush the reading i think that's one of the things I, I find coming across and it's because i like oh, i gotta do this before but i need to just relax so relax and breathe not like pregnant breathe just breathe like breathing exercises late one afternoon on a scorching spring day just before i left jamaica in 1986 oh damn that don't have no flow Late one afternoon on a scorching spring day. No. Late one afternoon on a scorching spring day. Just before I left Jamaica in 1986, Brambles took me to a farm near Spanish Town to meet a man who had uh, procured the JLP's gun for that shooting. His name was Billy the Kid. His nickname was Billy the Kid. Yeah, cause yeah. Billy worked as a caretaker on the farm which was owned by a JLP councillor for the area, and we found him in the fields at dusk. Like any seasoned veteran of the political wars, Billy was taciturn and evasive. He had edged, uh, he, and he edged about his role in the 1980s shooting until Brambles made, it one of his, made one of his inspired moves. He knew that Billy loved Western movies with a passion. So he mentioned that I'd come to Jamaica from Wyoming, the legendary territory of many of Billy of Wild West Bandit. Billy's face lit up and he considered me with fresh interest. Billy, wa- Billy warmed to me, sensing a kindred spirit. He began to talk with an outlaw's engaging modesty about his godfather role in the JLP and the parties paramilitary organization in Spanish Town. Billy was the JLP's gunner and bagman. Bagman, the one who delivered the weapons and paid the mercenaries. But I was slow to grasp the fine points of this arrangement. I wanted to know where the money came from. Well, Billy said, we have a JLP caretaker for the area, a man named Williams, and he's a druggist. You mean he owns a pharmacy? I asked. Billy and Brambles laughed. No, sis, Billy said. I mean, ganja business. Williams got his money from the guns, for the guns from his weed. You want to talk to the men who shot up the rally? Then make we go, find, then make we go and find them. We drove to a shantytown called Homestead, not far from the middle-class neighborhood where Billy lived. Soon we were turning right and left and right and left again. Through a maze, I would, through a maze, I would have been unable to find my way out of alone. Without Billy's constant directions, I might as well have been blindfolded. There was nothing, there was nothing like the grid of streets I had come to know. This was nothing like the grid of streets I had come to know in downtown Kingston. Homestead was a tangle of sandy lanes and narrow pathways, many of them much too small for a car. They were walled off by zinc and a scrapboard fences behind which the yards stretched for what seemed like miles. 
A full moon was rising as night fell, bathing the place in a ghostly light. Ghostly light. It can be ghostly light. Unless it's a happy ghost, so it would be Casper. So it has to be bathing the place in a ghostly light. Although the settlement was quiet except for the friendly sounds from rum shops and yards, I could imagine the terror that would have transformed it transform in it transform in a night gun battle. Transform it in a night gun battle. I could imagine the terror that would have transformed it in a night gun battle. We finally pulled up in front of a tiny rum shop with the requisite complement of young and old sufferers, lounging in the shadows and basking in the evening coolness. Come out, Billy said. You two wait here until I come back. Brambles got himself and me two Heinekens, the correct labor I bear for a JLP neighborhood, and waited a long time until we saw Billy coming down the lane with five young men, sauntering with the unhurried gate they proclaim, is we rule here. Sauntering with the unhurried gate that proclaimed, is we rule here. This is Ayatollah, Billy said, introducing the posse, unmistakable leader. He was a drop-dead handsome, his chiseled features framed by a mane of dreads, and he was dressed in camouflage pants and a fishnet t-shirt. A few gold chains glittered in the moonlight on his chest. The other men were silent, waiting for the leader to make his move. And the rum shop crowd parted for them like a scene out of the westerns Billy so admired. The Ayatollah suggested that his crew and I drive up to his yard, a few chains away, to reason. I threw a questioning glance at Brambles, who only nodded, and we left him and Billy at the shop. Now we were moving so deep, so who left one Billy? I threw a questioning gla- glance at Brambles, who only nodded, and we left him and Billy at the shop. I guess she's leaving with the Ayatollah. Now we were moving so deep into the homestead um, maze that my claustrophobia went from panic to fatalism until it came to a rest at trust. <laughs> That's a good way to express it. I have been from panic to fatalism, but I didn't get to trust. Trust me on that one. Um, the story I would tell is about just the other day I was, I went to ja, jam down. This was in September last year, and I went on a, to look for on a property. I was in Kingston, staying at a place in Kingston, but I didn't want to drive my truck. I have a 1999 um, Toyota Land Cruiser V8 that I sold, but I had it there, but the brake was giving problem. As usual, the brake booster keep going, and it's like a 1500 US dollar um, part. We have changed it a couple of times before, but still, I think we changed it for a used one, and the used one is no good either. So I was like by selling the vehicle, and so I just had it parked up at the place I was staying. But long story long, um, this realtor reached out to me to say that yes, she have a property in a spot on the north coast. That I said, if there's anything that come up in that complex, I wanted to buy. It and so this realtor called me and I, I i did my google checked who she was and i realized that okay she's from and forgive me but i'm gonna just talk frankly now she's from the 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 upper class the pedigree she's a, a white jamaican lady and not because she's white jamaican but her photos in the 
um, the, 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 the paper in, that came up on Google was that of someone who was well-dressed, um, sophisticated, um, decent. Not talking, it's not nothing to do with anything from, it's, it just has to do with sophisticated. There was a sophisticated, sh- like a photo shoot of her um, standing on, like, by a wall in a, like a Victorian house, almost like a Victorian look. So I'm thinking, so, anyway, long story, this lady called me up, said um, she will, and I, I, I can't drive to the country. I said, I can't drive to the country. Time is running out, but I can't drive to the country because my vehicle have no brakes. So I'm not going to take a chance with it. And it's a V8 and it's a heavy truck. I mean, the guy that I bought it from was a Chinese guy. And he had, he had, he had, he had put a bush bar on it. It had um, um, shields, the engine shields and all of that. I had taken off some of the metal. It was so heavy. Um, so it's not an easy vehicle to stop going down a hill. Um, so she, she called me up in the morning. She said she'll drop me. She'll take me to, to see the place. She wanted, she, so I said, no problem. I'm in Kingston, so we're going to traverse the island and go to the north coast, you know, curious, quick and fast. She said, um, in the morning, she said, if it's, um, she's going to pick up her boyfriend and come and pick me up at the place. I said, and I was staying at New Kingston. Not a problem. In fact, all the better. Um, so when she reached, she came in this beaten up vehicle. She looked nothing like her picture, aside from the complexion. I mean, she came in a shirt that was dirty. I mean, like, she was working in a butcher shop and the blood from well probably someone they had just killed us maybe it may have been someone they had just killed because then the boyfriend now <coughs> he's just mashing out um his weed in his hand miggle his fingers are purple i mean i'm not exaggerating the guy the young man finger purple the young man is like 20 and this lady is like close to 40 or 30 change mid-30s at the very least and this guy is just, you know, like, so he's a sufferer and an uptown thing. So this sufferer boyfriend that she has is, if he's 19, 20, the most, guaranteed. I mean, pants down, um, the marina, the fishnet t-shirt, um, you know, the, what they call it, the wife beater. And, I mean, teeth yellow and, 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 and already rotting. As a young kid, teeth already rotting out of my head from the ganja smoke. Um, and and and, him fing- and his fingers purple. I'm not exaggerating. His fingers were purple, and uh, fingertips. The tips of his fingers were purple, and um, so I'm like shit. So we end up. I mean, after I, I should have probably. That's one of them time when he looked back. He said that's when he said no. But anyway, we're down. We're in down, and um on the way some part of the journey she mentioned something about you know when we finish let's go pick up she needs to just run up to the guys i can't remember what her boyfriend name was let's say his name is trevor we need to run up to trevor's cousin farm go pick up some high grade high grade being ganja so this real estate agent is taking me to look at a property and also taking me to a ganja farm so she's taking the client to look at a property and part of that process would in her head is okay for her to take the, the, the client to a ganja farm go pick up some high grade so that is when i i experienced that claustrophobia or well it was more of a uh, something else that went from panic to fatalism this lady said it it came back to trust but my it never went to trust i um 
I I I I I asked to be let off down by Ocherio. So I went into the gas station and I bought two packs of Advil for the headache that was pounding. <laughs> Charter car back to Kingston. That was it. So let's keep reading. Now we're moving so deep into the homestead into homestead that me and my claustrophobia went from panic to fatalism until it came to rest at trust. His home was a small poured concrete house with a living room crowded full crowded full of plush red velvet settees. Yes, sound like it. The men sat down with their beers and spliff and waited politely for me to say something. Well, I faltered, I want to ask you about the nineteen eighty time. Billy told me that some of you played a part in what happened at that rally. Why is my phone ringing again, man? Jeez. Continuing. Well, I faltered. I want to ask you about... Oh, shoot. Alright, continuing. I started reading without putting the thing over my ears. Alright. Well, I faltered. I want to ask you about the 1980 time. Billy told me some of you played a part in what happened at the rally. You're a journalist or what? The, the Ayatollah asked. Everyone leaned forward when I said that I was working on a book about gangs and political violence. This was their story and they wanted it to be told. The Ayatollah smiled, but sadly. Then I'll tell you how it went, he said. Months before the election, PMP activists started coming around here, all the way from concrete jungle. And let I tell you, this was one wicked set of man. They brought down doors and shoot up yards, demonstrating the power of the PMP. They killed my baby mother. They were looking for her brother. Through the through through the through the, the through the through oh through they knew he was a laborite notch. They found him and after they killed him, they shot her too. She was eight months pregnant at the time. The other men nodded in agreement. One of them, a youth who was probably a child during the campaign, Fury spoke up. You remember the manly, you remember the manly time, miss? You recall the shortages we had? How oh, there was no selfish, no flour, no rice, no cooking oil in the shops? Jamaica never say Jamaica never say so Jamaica never stay so until Manly messed up everything. I refrain from saying anything about how the merchants and shopkeepers were to blame holding precious foodstuffs to raise the prices when the dollar plunged. Many of them were paid off by the JLP. And there was Cubans all around the place, and another man said. They was building the Jose Marti school near Spanish town. And Manly said we ha- we we was all to be grateful for their being them being there. He kissed his teeth or sucked his teeth. Why Jamaica need Cubans to build thing there? They all the while go and like them better than we. The Ayatollah spoke again. But it was the vo- but it was the violence would turn us against the PMP for true. Things just got bad towards the nineteen eighty time. The jungle lights had gone and we had nothing to, to defend ourselves with. So what about Williams? I asked. Yes, him, answered the Ayatollah. Him have the ganja, him have the ganja trade well in hand. So 
So him just left, let off a little money and gone few years on Homestead. And, and somehow the other areas like Winterpen, Garden Pen, Duncan's Pen, and Spanish Town Central. What kind of guns? Mostly M1s, the Ayatollah said. Them is old, yes, but effective. And we each got paid $200 for shooting up the rally. By that time, we were spoiling for revenge, anyhow. We rose from the velvet seats and drove back to the rum shop. The huge moon was high by then, and the night's pleasures were in full swing. The jukebox was cranked up, and I could hear the Ayatollah's voice when he whispered, whispered in my ears. What? I said, leaning forward. I, oh, and I couldn't hear the Ayatollah's voice when he whispered in my ear. What? I said, leaning towards him. I just asked the daughter if she liked to have a little coke. It was the first time anyone in Jamaica had ever offered me cocaine. Alright, so when, just a quick one, because it's not going to go down, but the Jose Marti school that they talked about them building in Spanish town. And, and I'm going to make a point of duty to just mention whenever this happens, I try. Since I've been referring to even traversing my wife's um, journey, remember she went to Holy Family School in regards to the Green Bay, and she actually went to Ozemati. It was a campus for the UTEC. So she didn't go to Ozemati School or UTEC, University of Technology um, in Jamaica, had a Spanish town campus. And they, that, that campus was Jose Marti. So I remember going to Jose Marti at nights, waiting for my wife, picking her up after she finished studying. She was doing her degree in finance. And um, yeah, um, so that's Jose Marti. So let's keep going. Um, if I can read, I hear footsteps upstairs, so I know, and I'm in the basement, so I know they want to go on the road. And I need to take them on the road today because we have a guest here from France and they're leaving soon and want to take them into town so that they can see a little bit of what we have here in this grand beautiful city of ours anyway brambles was quiet for a while after we said goodbye to billy and ayatollah i was concentrating hard on the i was concentrating hard on the road clouded by exhaust thick as fog he knew that I was leaving the island for good that, that summer. Neither of us had begun to deal with separating. He read my mind and broke the silence. So what we're going to do to mark your leave taking? So what we're going to do to mark your leave taking? He talked about he talked about taking a road trip to the country across the island to Nigel. He had a friend named Kentry. An ex corporal from the Jamaica Defense Force who bought Sensimania from a ganja grower near Negril and smuggled it out from the Kingston Wars. Kentry had suggested that the three of us go to check his, this, his man in Westmoreland and then asked me to carry a hundred pounds of skunk smelling Sensimania back to Kingston in my trunk. But I had been in too many roadblocks to oblige. <laughs> yeah, I see she get she she uh Laurie guns you understand what that I was contemplating too. Right? I was contemplating that next thing I was pulled up in the sky with ganja and if there's ganja there might be other things. 
But I had been in too many roadblocks to oblige, halted by uniformed cops and their sinister-looking friends in street clothes, with their index fingers po- poised so lightly on the triggers of the M16s that the sound of a passing car's backfire would have been all they needed. <laughs> if you're interested in this cocaine business, Bramble said, the way it ties into the politics and thing, you should do a little research in the grill. I have a friend there who juggles coke and he could tell you some of the stories about the white wife. That was the phrase of the moment, a perfect description of the drug's foreign origins and the power to lay waste. Cocaine was a novelty, a fairly recent addition to the island's pharmacopoeia, but it was quickly becoming the next bad dream, as it always does. Tourists had brought it to Negril in the late 1970s where it was soon the rigor for whites and their rent dread cons- consorts okay so it was soon a rigor for whites and their rent dread consorts but across the island in Kingston cocaine made a different kind of entrance the, ger- the drug started showing up in the pockets and noses of JLP gunmen just before the 1980 election that was a coincidence that no one cared to probe, but it is said by Carl Stone, the UA professor and political scientist, that the drug was partly responsible for the sickening nature of the violence during that time. Atrocities such as the killing of children and the mutilation of, of pregnant women, Stone called 1980 the reign of the wall-eyed gunman. The reign of the wall-eyed gunman. Whether or not Siaga was feeding cocaine to his paladins, the JLP definitely controlled the trade. Jamaica became a major Caribbean transit shipment point for the drug when Siaga came to power, and several of his government ministers were said to be involved in protecting its movement into and out of Jamaica. The police, most of them badly paid and poorly trained country boys, were also easily corrupted. They were cut and, and were cut into the trade. By the time I moved to Kingston in 1984, cocaine was everywhere. The Chinese controlled the uptown markets and the JLP added to themselves in the ghettos. The Chinese controlled the uptown market and the JLP added it to themselves in the ghettos, which was why it was easy to come by in laborite enclaves like Southside. In 1984, crack was already replacing powder cocaine in the ghettos since Jamaicans were given to smoke in ganja, it was natural for them to take the smokable and cheaper form of cocaine. Alright, I'm going to say this. All my life, I've never seen cocaine or crack. Correction. All my life, I've never seen cocaine or crack in Jamaica. I saw it once in Atlanta. I saw the vials. We were collecting rent somewhere for at one of my uncle's place in Miracle Terrace, somewhere in Atlanta. Can't remember. And my, I saw the vials and, and my virgin, you know, shit. Those empty vials in the ground there, uh, it's cocaine coming in and da da da. That was the first time. The next time was when I was in Canada and I was at a party with some Filipino friends from work and someone said something about snow and they were saying like, he doesn't want any snow and I said, snow, I'm, I'm used to snow, I don't care about snow. And they said, no, it's not the kind of snow you And I looked and there was a line of the white stuff. And that was it. That was the two times I've ever seen cocaine 
are well probably the one time because the, the first time was simply the vials the empty vials that i saw in atlanta the the one time that i remember vaguely was in um burlington ontario at a party <laughs> all right so i just bust out burlington <laughs> and that's it so the cocaine thing i don't know how come i never saw it because i saw ganja and everything else that has to do with the, the thing growing up in jamaica i saw the weed the weed was here but i never seen cocaine and i never even knew anyone that i could say that person was acting like they were on cocaine which is weird maybe in retrospect because there was this guy named army you know and army was just cool maybe i don't know because some people could never be just be that cool there had to be something that's causing it and maybe it was cocaine but the islanders were slow to awaken to the drugs menace 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 yeah menace the islanders were slow to awaken to the drugs menace foreign foreign political consultants and aid agencies had crammed it down their throats that ganja was the country's major peril and the Americans didn't seem to worry about Jamaica's cocaine problem. It was ganja they were forever spraying with lethal herbicides and burning with flamethrowers. But the Americans would soon have to reason, would as soon have reason to worry about Jamaican cocaine. In 1984, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, sounded a, a quiet warning in its annual intelligence report. It says increasing evidence of cocaine traffic in Jamaica is of concern both because of the threat to the local population and because it involves foreign criminals, criminal elements. Some Jamaican traffickers are believed to have switched to cocaine because of its relative ease in which it can be shipped in comparison to marijuana and because of the large profits to be made. Well, it makes sense. Can the worst ganja stink? So ganja more bulky and smelly. What the report neglected to say was that Jamaica's entry into the Caribbean transit shipment trade dovetailed neatly and brutally with the island's American-funded ganja eradication program. As the ganja barons found it harder to get out their products, got their products off the island, they began to piggyback their shipments on the cocaine trade. And it wasn't long before the local market became a lucrative sideline. Uh, the friend Brambles wanted me to meet in Negril was one of the local ganja dealers who had made a shift from the weed of wisdom to the white wife. Cocaine hit the local population with a force that was not unlike the way alcohol devastated Native Americans in the 19th century. As one of Brambles' foster lane friends said, the first time I take it, it make I feel days-like. Soon he was hooked on the days, the dazzle. The dazzle. Sending, selling every stick of furniture his mother had left him and pimping his baby mother for his eye. We left Fonnegrill with Kentry riding shotgun on a cool early morning and took the Junction Road, the steepest and most beautiful route over the Blue Mountains. We left Fonnegrill. And so Junction Road have to do with Blue Mountains. Oh, well, I So we left on the grill. Oh, she probably going through, through Stony Hill. But still, the road was no wider than a cart track in many places. 
emptying as a bush part except for country people on foot or riding donkeys soothed by the bucolic loveliness of the landscape brambles lost his usual edginess and became serene we stopped so many times along the way buying roasted corn and pepper cups of scalding soup straight from vendors kettles that is took us the better part of the day to reach Nigel. Kentry wanted to check his gra on the outskirts of town, so we dropped him off at a red dirt footpath into the hills that went to find Bramble's that went to find Bramble's friend. His name was Lyrics. In Patwa, someone who flies lyrics is a genial con artist. Is a genial, I guess a genial one, a genial con artist of the first rank. I don't know how we going to find him, Bramble said. I mean, what kind of mood he's going to be in? Sometimes he licks his pipe for days and days, and then he's in no shape to reason. Lyrics Yard was high up in the district called Red Ground, perched on a hilltop with sweeping views of the seas. We parked the car and walked, panting, up a steep rock-strewn path with hummingbirds darting through the bush and goats trailing their ropes as they browsed. Lyrics was sitting in a porch swinging well, Lyrics was sitting in a porch swing that hung from a huge mango tree, drowsing in the shade. He greeted Brambles as if he had known his old friend was coming. You go on live long you gonna live long, Lyrics said. The Jamaican we are saying you'll have a good luck you'll have good luck for showing up just as someone is thinking about you lyrics was smoking herb and he was in a mellow mood but we began talking but as we began talking he waxed elo- he waxed eloquent about his ups and downs with cocaine he liked talking about the drug and he had the addict's classic fascination for the substance dread of all his consequences coupled with no will to quit just yet he was bitter but he was still in trial with the white wife he was still in trial with the white wife there was a time not so long ago he said when we were in this island never touched by cocaine we did what did we know about coke we didn't grow it but it seemed like ever since the Siaga business startup, the JLP here in Westmoreland come down hard on ganja men like punishment. This era been PMP ever since Naman Manley time. Old people here still remember the sugar strike of 38. You know that when Siaga start burning the ganja fields, some of the cane workers set fire to the fields in revenge. Lyrics laughed. Coming like they just saying no ganja, no cane. I don't know. Sometimes I think the JLP set this whole thing up. Seems like the 70s belong to Manly and to ganja, but the 80s now they belong to cocaine. I see dreads I know from town walking down the road with boards from them own yard to sell out just for coke. It's like free based thing. Once you start, you can't stop. So easy again. 
And if you have plenty ganja, you can trade it for the powder. Right now in Negril, 100 pounds of good sensimina, we get you a quarter ounce of coke. I did some fast arithmetic in Jamaican dollars. Prime sensimina was selling locally then for 400 a pound. So 100 pounds was, was worth $40,000. Cocaine went for $100 a gram itself. And an interesting fact, since the magical $100 a gram price held it held in both Negril and New York even though in Jamaican dollars that would be $100 that same $100 was one-fifth of the US price so it was like 25 to 1 I guess 20 to 1 wow now it's 150 to 1 that alone could that alone told me how arbitrary the price of cocaine was fixed. The Colombian had such a glut that they would sell it for whatever the local market could bear. And Negril's cocaine, like the drug anywhere, was whacked every time it changed hands, adulterated with anything from ground-up aspirin to food powder. In a quick computation, I figured that a quarter ounce of cocaine, 7 grams, was worth $700. This meant that the local users were trading $40,000 worth of ganja for $700 worth of cocaine. Lyrics, I said, that don't make any sense. You think this supposed to make sense? He shot back. Does it make sense to burn a man's field, to mash up his livelihood, to bring in cocaine in, a, in, the, in the same time as you destroy our ganja? I'm just telling you what we trade our ganja for in a distant time since you asked. Brambles and I were in summer moods when we left Lyric's yard, so we drove into Negril to roam through its pleasure places. We had a drink at Rick's Cafe and watched the local girls hustling the tourists. The prostitutes were working, were working Rick's in droves, and so were the sad-eyed women who begged the white girls to let them, let them do the, the bead-tipped Bo Derek ear styling, ear thing, or oh, the braids. On the, on, on the winding cliff road outside the bar, renter dreads zoom by on their bikes with white women clinging behind. The arrangement meant that some of the rent, rented rasters might take a little money home to their baby mothers unless they smoked it first. We walked through the town and stopped at Edenism too. The all-inclusive resort that used to be a club med. Brambles looked miserable and tried to disappear in the lobby. So I stayed just long enough to pick up a brochure that said, The pleasures come in many forms at Enolism too. You have everybody, you have everything a body could ask for. You can stretch it, build it, tan it, relax it, strip it, wet it, feed it, cool it, fix it, and yes, even abuse it if you choose. Okay, I never know that one. We walked barefoot along the Seven Mile Beach, wrapped in darkness and not saying much. A few hustlers passed by us, hissing entreats. Did we want some coke? As I sat on the beach alone the next morning while Brambles went off with Kentry to do business, a raster strolled up to me and issued what must have, what, what must have thought was an invasion I couldn't 
an invitation I couldn't refuse. Daughter, have a nice daughter, have a nice fat pussy, he said in a whisper. Oh, daughter, have a nice fat pussy, he said in a whisper that was meant to cajole but only sounded full of menace. When I gave back at him, dumbstruck or struck dumb, struck dumb, he got the message and walked away. Bramble just laughed when I told him and Kentry about the encounter. You is fair game, he said. The trip to Nigel made me sad, as Jamaica North Coast always does. Kingston has its own funky vibe, but its people kept their dignity. The tourist trip on the other hand always made me think of what Claude Levi Strauss meant by Tristis Tropicis. It is Jamaica in its most forlorn. My final weeks in Kingston were suffused by sadness too. It rained, relentless. it rained relentlessly while I packed up two years of life and boxed belonging to be mailed to my house. As I unframed, as I unframed pictures, giant cockroaches skirted from their nest behind the glass. Cleaning out a closet, I came upon a spider so enormous that I left the house for the rest of the day. I slogged across the southern campus lawns for farewell drinks and suppers with friends, envying the casual stoicism with which Jamaicans say goodbye, stoicism. Which, 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 do we? Envying the casual, which, which, uh, we are stoic? I didn't know that thing. Okay. The centuries of unnecessary migration have made them adapt at farewells and my only impending departure was less painful because we all knew that I would return. But somehow, I knew there were faces I would never see again. All right, the, the book isn't ended, but I hear rumblings upstairs and I promise to take folks to town. So I'm gonna just end part one there. Let me just mark it for this chapter. And, um, We'll see if I can mark that I stop here. I hope this pen work. That's where I stop. And then I will shoot. I'm not even halfway the book. It looked like halfway earlier. Then I'll continue. Because I hear footsteps, so I gotta run. But um that is Lorigans, Born for Dead. Um Kingston Farewell. And um that's just part one of the chapter that we're reading. Thanks for your time. Thanks for 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 um you know for 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 supporting the the mental breakdown <laughs> just kidding <laughs> oh yeah right all right um but you know one love god bless and stay Friday, February 25, we're reading Born for Dead, Kingston Farewell. I had stopped about halfway the chapter a couple days, probably a couple weeks ago. I think the last thing I did was I was just realizing that I did a reflection on Champy. I, I see that I'm not getting any listeners, so if you are listening, you're the only one. Thanks. Um, but that's fine. I actually... You know what I realize? If I'm doing this for listeners, I'm screwed. 
because <laughs> you really do have to do it for my mental health and for today i've been wanting to do it for weeks now to do the finish the book it's a matter of finishing things that i start and keeping me um, accountable and you know that is the other day i was considering you know you know when you do things they should do it for success so to speak what if it's not successful it then it makes you feel like you waste your time so i realized that the time that you put in has to be where you're fulfilling feeling where 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 you're getting back at the same time that you're putting in is where you should be getting back it's not putting in time for future success so even with this thing that i'm doing recording it is i i have to realize that it's not a success that you know someone is going to discover this podcast and say oh we listen to this book and while well, the person sounds like an idiot it kind of sent us some information and some entertaining information it's not entertaining the guy that used the word i think his name is patrick something valuetainment i think is the word um, he used but for me i just finished my google data analytics certification it's a six month training i did it in little bit under three months um, but in all fairness to the certification folks it's a very good program but i try to do about six hours a day or more sometimes eight sometimes i just keep going right from morning till night didn't even count the hours so i put in the hours it's they recommend two hours and i was doing average of six so that would explain why i would be able to you know complete it in such a short period of time having said and the reason why is i didn't want to be paying the sub the monthly subscription for the courseware um and i didn't want to and be, with that in mind i would be rushing it so i didn't want to rush the real learn stuff so what i realized is that i could finish it like that and now i'm gonna do my portfolio properly so slowly now lock it down stop paying the monthly but now work on building up a portfolio so which i plan on start doing tomorrow um, but today i need to read the book um, born for dead i have neglected it long enough i don't know if if i've reflected back on the fact that i went to jamaica earlier this month well i went late in january and i came back here in canada earlier this month the trip was enlightening i don't know if i reflect in it at, at all on it but um it was an interesting trip. Um, they, they, I, I probably told a story about Brown Man, so I probably did. So I probably don't need to go through that again. If I didn't do it, it now, I probably do it in the other recording before this, which is gonna be merged with this. So let me just shut up and keep moving forward and start reading the book. So this is Born for Dead, Kingston Farewell, and this is the continuation. So this would be part two. It might come across while you're listening it. The one person listening it, you, Timmy, or Terry, or Tracy, or whoever, the one person listening it, this is a continuation. Born for Dead, Kingston Farewell. So, continue. One of them would be never all. One of who would be never all? Saga across the southern campus. 
Okay, so she's doing her farewell. I slogged across the Southern Campus lawns for farewell drinks and, 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 and suppers with friends. Envying the casual stoicism, stoicism with which Jamaicans say goodbye. The centuries of necessary migration have made them adept to farewells. And my own impending departure was less painful because we all knew that I would return. But somehow I knew there were faces I would never see again. Talking about farewell, sorry. Just did a farewell with a young lady who spent three weeks here. She was from France, not from Paris or the town. She's from the country parts of France in a student exchange. And uh, you know, it's funny, I was gonna say to the program organizers, um, you got me because I came in very jaded about this whole thing. Not jaded, but not the biggest fan of the whole foreign exchange thing in terms of humans and all of that. But the young lady was so easygoing. She was, you know, my, my, da my daughter is very her own space kind of person. And this young lady was like, you know, I'm here whenever you want to hang out. She was so easygoing. She was so polite. We had a huge language barrier because I speak zero French. And she would laugh when I do try. Um, but she was pleasant, respectful. And, you know, I tried to make sure because I said, my daughter is going to spend some time with them also. So I want to make sure that when my daughter is there, they will say, you know, what I did for their daughter, they'll want to do for my daughter. You know, what you want for your own daughter. I so I realized she liked bananas. As soon as I see the bananas going down the right bananas, I go buy bananas. I even made um, bananas. She she liked um she fell in love with my wife's um selfish fritters. Um and and she was like, you know, whatever in French, you know. And so because I know she liked bananas, um I made some banana fritters and Jesus, peace, she done the banana fritters. The morning when I took her, yesterday morning, to meet back with the group so that they could take the flight back to France. Um, I, I made a, a bat, a bat. I made a batter the day, the night, the, evening, the morning before, and my wife waxed that off, the evening before actually. The evening before, my wife waxed that off, or two evenings before. So yesterday morning I made another batter and um, I was thinking she would eat around six, eight of the little fritters. The plate had around 15 in it. Damn, man. The young lady sit down around the table and just slowly, slowly polish the entire plate clean. I, didn't, I think I got one. I took one out and blew it early when I was frying just to taste it for sweetness. But it was good, you know. And the farewell, when we reached, we had an ice storm. And um, a real ice storm, I mean, right now we have ice. I fell out my vehicle today. And when I fell, I fell so fast. My hat, my thumb, my toque, I fell out of it. Like just in the cartoon, you fall so fast, the toque is still in the middle of the, in, in the air when you fall. That's how I went down. Poof! And my toque was up, up in the air, spinning for a split second before it dropped and followed me down to the ice. So it's that slippery out there. We got a nice one, two, two inch, three inch um, 
um, slab of ice over the driveway. Oh, you didn't shovel the driveway? We could when the ice was falling. It was falling and sticking as ice slabs during the snow, the ice fall. It was an actual ice fall. You know, it was, it was, no, it wasn't what you call it here. Hail or small hail. It wasn't hail. It was small ice speckles. And hail is different. Hail is a little bit bigger. Um, so that was that. So we had a, um, what I was talking So took them to the meeting space during the, during the ice and did the farewell. And I really saw the emotion when my daughter and her hugged. And, 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 and just before she went on the, the shuttle bus, another um, group, uh, another young lady who had her, they were crying also. But it just showed me how humans can connect. That's probably the point to me I go round and round to say is that in my, even as jaded as I am, it was heartwarming and encouraging and hopeful to see how humans connect from different parts of the world, connect in a genuine way, you know. So this Kingston farewell, I can understand Laurie Guns, all right, going forward. But somehow I knew there were faces I would never see again. One of them would be never, never, never all, never, never alls, the hist never halls, the history professor who had taken me up Blue Mountain for the first time. As we sat on his jasmine-scented veranda one night, sipping rum liqueur, I tried to memorize his beautiful voice, something no photograph would ever convey. A few months after I left, Neville died in a car accident on the Mona Road near the University Gate. University Gate, University Gate, University Gate. It was dusk and the bus driver who hit Neville's car was driving without headlights, thinking to save battery. I had thinking to save battery, say, drive without headlights to save battery. Okay, alternator. I had quickened my work pace in those final weeks and did some last interviews. One was with Keith Gardner, the killer cop known as Trinity. I'd, and I already talked about Trinity's wife. I had not expected him to see me, but when I reached him on the phone at the Alpha Tree, when I reached him on the phone at the Alpha Tree police station, he seemed to like the sound of my voice. How do you spell a last name? He asked evidently writing it down in his appointment book. The spelling is curious to Jamaicans accustomed to English surnames. It's guns, sir, I answer. Guns with a T. He laughed and said it would you would meet me the following morning. I parked my car in the lot at half a tree and walked past the lockup where prisoners put their eyes the prisoners put their eyes to the tiny window and begged for a chorus of food. Begged in a chorus for food. Begged for a chorus of food. What would a chorus of food look like? Singing food, anyway. Trinity did not keep me waiting. He ushered me promptly into his office where he had pictures of himself with Nelson Mandela, Jesse Jackson, and Queen Elizabeth. I asked him how he had gotten his nickname and he explained that the original Trinity was a hero 
was a he was the era of a spaghetti western. The name came from one of my alleged dexterity. Sorry, the name came from my alleged dexterity with a gun. It started in 73 or 74 while I was stationed at Olympic Gardens. My style was different. I liked to achieve and maintain the element of surprise. So those were the days when I used to carry up to 10, 11 prisoners at one time by myself. I used to walk them on foot. I had a reputation then and I commanded a lot of respect. He spoke of the impact that Western and gangster movies had on Jamaica's culture of badmanism. But he said that when he was... Oh shit, did I? Yeah, okay, yeah, it's recording. I was wondering if I hit the record button. <laughs> Woo. He spoke of the impact that Western and gangster movies had on Jamaicans, Jamaica's cult of badmanism. But he said that when he was a boy, his mother, a fundamentalist Christian, refused to let him go to the movies. They were worldly things. He remembered growing up in Trenchtown and listening to Bob Marley harmonize with the original whalers at dances. Brambles had told me that Trinity had a brother who became a notorious outlaw and that Trinity shed no tears when he was gunned down by, brother, by police. They said he spat on his brother's body as it lay on the street. That's, that's not hate, that's love and disappointment, guarantee. You don't spit on somebody's body that you hate and you don't spit on somebody's body that you don't care about. Trust me, that's hurt. Trinity was a child of the ghetto who got out, who got out and his career led him, led him to kill the grown man he'd once played with when they were all children in Trenchtown. I asked him what it was like to be in a gunfight. It is a phenomenon, he said. Phenomenon, yeah. He said, looking down at his hands, uh, his hands falling gracefully on his desk. There's a feeling of high that you get. Your adrenaline is running and your heart is beating fast. Before you, before you don't know what's going to happen in a split second between the moment when the guy reaches for his waist and all the hell breaks loose. You don't want to shoot him you don't want to shoot him before you know because you haven't seen the gun yet. But you don't want to wait either because just a split second will decide whether you're going to die. He reckoned that he had been in some 97 shootouts, too many to be to still be counting. I think the moment you start counting, you are becoming a degenerate. He said. I thought about the affinity between cops and criminals, how like each other they finally became and remembered the, su the, the sufferer's stories about Trinities showing up at dance halls dressed all in black with a brace of pistols on his hip like a gunfighter. A news photograph hung on the wall behind him taken during the 1980 elections when he was Siaga's bodyguard. He was couching under fire from an invisible sniper in a West Kingston street. I asked him, 
what he thought about Claude Massop and the other rankings he rubbed shoulders with. Trinity leaned forward with an eager glint in his eyes and then he checked himself. But then he checked himself. There are many things I'd like to talk about, he said graciously. But you'll understand that I cannot. Perhaps another time. Yes, I answered, baffled by how unexpectedly likable this man was. I hope we meet again. The following day, I said goodbye to another beloved friend, a journalist from Trinidad. He had covered the Caribbean for many, for 40 years and had, and had known the founded fathers of every island's movement for, from in, for independence. The men who were historical figures to me were memories to him. I had always told him about the work I was doing, and although he admired it, he also thought, I think, take foolish chances. He never even went to political rallies in Jamaica anymore, unless he had he could find a spot way at the back of the crowd and get out as fast if he had to. He was bitter about what had become of Jamaica he had once loved. This is nothing but a tiny island ruled by two thugs, he said as we parted. Why do you care so much what becomes of it? My goodbyes downtown were harder than the ones with university colleagues. I had a sense of closure as far as teaching was concerned. But I was beginning to realize that the Passy saga was unfinished. Kingston was only a prologue and an orientation for the journey that laid ahead. Everything changed up now, Bramble said one night when we walked through the neighborhood. If you want to follow this Passy business, it's New York or Miami you have to penetrate. And up there, so you on your own. One June evening, two weeks before I left, we were sitting on the bench over the gully on South Camp Road, talking with an elder man named Joseph Manning. His nephew, Delroy Edwards, had gone north, gone north to Brooklyn and was running a, a crack passy there. Joseph had raised Delroy from a child and was resigned to what the youth had become. Now that his exploits were being sung all over Southside, Joseph himself was something of a done in the area, but his money came from a welding business he had built up over many years. He was still a sufferer at heart. Every day he went to work, when work was over, he'd get barefoot, put on a pair of track shorts, and drive back down to Southside in his silver Volvo. When his friends saw it parked by the gully bench, it was a signal that Joe was a runner and available for favors. He was the one who could be counting on to drive a woman in labor to Jubilee, laying in, or to bail someone out of Central Police Station. Bramles and I settled on the bench with Joseph and his little group of friends and watching the action at the shop across the street, everyone call, call it Brooklyn Corner. It, it had a bandolo, illegal telephone hookup for unbilled overseas calls and at night there was always a lineup of people waiting for their turn to phone. You see that place? Joseph said. 
The phone ring all the time with calls from one youth or another in Miami, in New, in New York, wherever. And all of them seem like they gone down into fascism and the drugs business. Joe wanted to check out the midnight show at Palace Theatre, so he walked over there and looked at the posters which advertised Rambo. Rambo sucked his teeth in derision. The old movie posters here used to say, Drama, he stage whispered. Suspense. Oh, stage whisper, I guess. Okay. The old movie posters here used to say, Drama, he stage whispered. Suspense. <laughs> it was mostly those two words here. Everybody would wind up on the, on the edge of them seat and wonder who kill who and all type of question. And we come out of the cinema, go home and talk about the plot all night long. A show like Rambo don't hold in my time. Nobody would have want to go see him back then. When I was a youth coming up, we used to like some heavy western. Not a whole heap of shooting, but a story, a serious detective story. We wanted dialogue like Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. Weren't no full-full actions in them days either. We had Anthony Quinn, Burt Lancaster, James Mason. These guys could talk. Rambo can't even talk. He's too stupid. <laughs> Why? No, sir. <laughs> no, ma. Style when I say, man, no, ma, dear. No, eh, Adrian. Adrian. No, that's not Rambo. That's uh, the other one. Wait, name again. The boxing show. Pam, 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 Anyway, I can't remember. He'll come to me. Adrian. No, no, the words. He's too stupid. Now it's all the words of one syllable and kind of thing. And who is this other guy? The one they call Schwarzenegger? Brambles made another rude sound. A few days later, he reminded me of one last person I should talk with an older man named Customs who me had mentioned many times. Custom lived in Tivoli and had been close to Claude Massop, who me called a human, a, a human rights man and had loved as a brother. So we came to Bramble's yard one night and so we came to Bramble's yard one night and the three of us walked down to the seawall at Victoria Pier. I was tired that night. My head was crammed full of images the Ayatollah face in the moonlight that night at Homestead Eager Forest Cocaine, the sad face occurs at Rick's Cafe in Negril. Trinity talking laconically about his 97 shoot, shoot, shootouts. I was hoping that custom would tell me something notable from Claude Massop's career. Maybe he had been there the day Claudie confronted Siaga in Tivoli and accused him of being nothing but a warlord. 
But all he talked about was a murder after murder in loving detail. How many men Masop had killed to get to his ranking as a Dan? The one that brought me was a story about his shooting some youth off his bicycle. I flew into a rage, vibrating between anger and tears. My voice seemed to come from somewhere else, ringing down the empty waterfront. I was shouting about not wanting to hear any more stories of sufferers who got killed by one another. Who got by who got big by killing one another. Didn't any of these men see that this was nothing to be proud of? Brumbles and customs sat like statues. Custom finished his beer, got up slowly and sauntered half into the west, back to Tivoli. Brumbles was too angry to say anything. Make we go away yard, make we go back away yard, make we go back away yard, he muttered. We walked through the streets without saying a word, but when he reached his yard, he took my tape recorder and turned it on. Orient, ori, orienting statements, he said, speaking into the microphone. This was to be a lesson in what I obviously failed to learn. Despite his years of careful teachment, his pupil had let him down. Instead of speaking in Patwa, he used the painstaking English he'd learned as a schoolboy back in the colonial back in the colonial days when his teacher made him recite Shakespeare and read the dictionary. Bramble loved words for their power, and that night he wanted me to feel it. To enter into the study of this ghetto society requires a certain kind of courage, he began. It is an enormous, very grated and complex. Okay, sorry. Very, very grated. It's not variated. Very, very and complex subject. Those willing never hear the word very. It's an enormous living. Let me give Brambles him due. To enter into the study of this case of society requires a certain kind of courage. He began. It is an enormously very grated and complex subject. Those willing to take on the task must have an active, energetic mind capable of putting together seemingly infinite no shit. Putting together seemingly infinite numbers of observation and events into something approaching a meaningful whole. To think and work in such a manner requires intellectual openness, agility, or the person must face a distinct prospect of being overwhelmed by the breadth and depth of, of social and political phenomena. I must emphasize scholarly, courage, and mental agility. All previous preconceptions and biases must be eliminated. I have seen the incipience of intellectual arrogance in you, and sometimes you question the credibility of events. You are entering into a new experience. You are writing something unique. You are white. It is difficult for a white person to simulate a black experience. And it is even more difficult to express or interpret something you have never experienced before. Be calm. The people in the ghetto 
are not the masters of their own destiny. People can use them because they don't have any money or security. They are not surrounded by the amenities that they require. They are anxious. It is for those reasons why they are so susceptible to all these kind of exploitations. You have to you take things for granted. For to a certain extent, you are very pampered. But these people who you talk to are professors in their own right. And regardless of your education, you could not survive one week in this ghetto without prostituting yourself. These people don't get any protection. They are strong. They are resilient. They are only the victims of circumstance. They are the professors of poverty and the pawns in the game of power politics. There was nothing left to say. He turned off the tape recorder and went into the room where Natalie and Ricky were sleeping. I heard him rummaging through the picture trash. The picture stash. When he came back out onto the veranda, he made a black and white patchwork quilt of photographs. His farewell gift for me to keep. I had seen some of them before, like the one of Claude Massop and Bucky Marshall at the start of the 1978 truce, standing in the midst of a smiling crowd and sufferers with their arms around each other. I had seen one of Dennis Barth a gunman called Kappa, who was killed by the police in the purge that followed the truce. Bramble had gone on assignment to photograph Kappa in jail and he captured him wearing a black beret. Looking out at the camera in a near profile, his chin in one hand and a pensive weird look in his eyes. Alright, now I'm gonna pause there sir, because I brambled the ear so I have to mark it in the book because I I was, it was powerful. I hope I did it some justice. But that shit, I moved it a while ago, was powerful. Because I, my brain is actually out. Now that was extreme to enter. Yeah, man, that was powerful, Brambles. Very powerful. That was extremely powerful. Kingston Farewell. This is something, that chapter that Brambles read. Is that chapter and that um, what that recording that Brambles did is something that people should um, listen to. This should be read. This should be free. This should be taught. Laurie Guns, thank you for that. All right. Oh, almost finished. I should have shut up then because almost finished. Da, 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 da. Dennis Bra. You know the reason why that hit me though, let me go back to it before I finish. Because uh, it's close to home. I won't get too much into it. And it's actually at my age right now, make me looking at people close to me differently. And with even more, I wouldn't say respect, but with more compassion. Damn it, wow. I live with superheroes. I'm married to a superhero, damn it. I'm married to Wonder Woman, damn it. Now I feel inferior. I should, should I have said that all out? But I feel 
Yeah, I'm married to a Wonder Woman. I mean, a real Wonder Woman. Damn. Anyway, me are the Incredible Hulk. All right, feel better now. <laughs> you don't want to see me when I'm angry. <laughs> I am more the Incredible Hulk or the one, the stone, the one that make of stone. The, where, where me, the one that make a stone, the rocky, rocky one, the one that looks like stone. Yeah. The stone one, the stone looking stone man. How can somebody make a stone be a superhero? Anyway, let's keep going. And how the heck did he become my favorite superhero? I don't know. But there were other pictures from 1980 that I had not seen. Oh, by the way, way Lori Guns, if you ever listen to this, we need to see these pictures. Why are we not seeing these pictures? These are the pictures we want to see. We love this man. But there were other pictures from the 1980s that I had not seen. Uh, it's dark, you know, so, okay. One was taken on Foster Lane and showed a crowd uh, watching an open army jeep pass by. The soldiers had machine guns propped on their knees and one had, a, had beautiful hands with an index one, one had beautiful hands with an index finger poised ever so gracefully on the barrel. There was just enough light under his helmet for me to see his eyes, narrowed into slits. The driver was glancing at a nearly naked boy standing in water flowing down the gutter, his mouth open in frozen, silent shout. His mouth open in frozen, silent shout. There's a picture of the dead man, dead gunman who had been killed in Bramble's yard trying to hide behind the refrigerator on the veranda. The man's eye was still open. Blood dribbled from his mouth onto a shiny polyester shirt with flowers. It was a playful pattern, something you would have found on a Carnaby Street in the 60s. Absurdly, absurdly I started to cry. Absurdly, I started to cry. Don't weep for him, Bramble said. He was one wicked rascal, brother. But then he spoke gently, the way a Jamaican parent tells a child to stop sniffling. Stop your eyes. We sat, you know, <laughs> that's what my father used to say to me, now, stop your eyes. But for what? I remember my say stop your eyes if I'm crying, but for work, I would never cry to my father unless he beat me. So I don't even know what he, but I just, when he says stop your eyes, I just remember that. We sat listening to the night sounds on Foster Lane. The roosters and the dogs and the music from tiny radios. You're not here to say who is good and who is bad, Rebel said. You should only be committed reality you should only be committed to reality and now we're going to part two so meeting in Rikers so I am done part one can ah where's my card to mark where's my marker is that oh here it is and I'm going to upload it and I'm going to say thanks for listening Lord God I feel accomplished tonight I feel accomplished, but Lori Guns, you're an awesome writer, you're an amazing writer, an amazing reflector of 
society thank you for this you know thank you for this this is interesting all right i'm gonna shut up because i speak a little bit too much sometime but then again sometimes what inside out all right that's how we started this thing as an inside out you know i was reading the news um the pantan girl who going to jail right now for the Hussein Bolt robbery what's this up on the screen here it's flown, phone blowing up uh, all right. all right so yeah and you know she is in a wheelchair but she, she's a person responsible for robbing a lot of money from a financial institution uh, everybody want blood but it goes as far I, I, I honestly feel empathetic for her I don't think she's putting it on totally because there is history that she had a, 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 what is it what am I talking about it is she's in a wheelchair and she can't barely walk and she have medical situations historically she's known hold on there um, okay historically she's known to have a medical situation that her father was helping her with so it's nothing new even if she she, she playing it up um i don't think they should have well then again maybe the jail protector i don't know because i think there's people way more guiltier than her based off what we're finding out and we don't want her to be the only scapegoat um having said that too, i would i was just saying to myself look at fdx sam bankman freed um, oh, the FTX scandal who oh, robbed billions, the, the largest amount, uh, the largest robbery in history probably. And he got bail and he's living it up with his family. You know, it's just, I was just questioning myself to say, do we as people of color have the compassion for each other that we would, want, we would quickly eke out for other people? I don't want to be a hypocrite because maybe if I had funds in in SSL I would be pissed and say no I'm actually rat in jail but how does that bring back my funds I would want to get to the bottom of it and get back my funds I am really speaking as a hypocrite right now because I do not have anything in SSL that she has that I know of that she has robbed but when I see this lady in a wheelchair I know she's something there I don't give her any credibility I think she's a terrible person for rob the people but me I said I'm saying to myself she could have get bail I mean she could get bail but then again frankly bail might actually expose her for the bigger heads them to knock her off to, to, to take her out so maybe but then again anyway you can take out somebody's in prison so six hours after the next it's just sad because her lawyer actually made a, a, a motion for bail and it was denied and he was saying that the it's other inmates in prison have to be attending to this lady's medical needs. Yeah, listen man. That's 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 tough. And I think they are coming right back to the point where I'm saying we as people of color, we are the most compassionate people. But we tend to show that compassion to people who don't look like us more than we show it to people who look like us. That's all I was saying, you know. If it was somebody from a different um, race, 
would we be so happy for them in a wheelchair? Would we say, Lord, look on the nice little white man in the wheelchair. We need for you. Our wicked so we can't make the man, you know. But no. Anyway, that's it. I just compassion, I think. Compassion. Cause I have no compassion for this murder guy. I'm watching this murder child. The man named Murder and he's being tried for murder. And I'm like, duh. I mean, <laughs> just by nature of his name. I would convict him. You shouldn't name murder. Being tried for murder. You know, understand me? But he lies like a freaking. He, he's like a champion liar. So he lied to everybody, robbed and steal, set up his owner, attempted suicide, and people must believe that he was not a part of a place where he was, where his wife and son was killed. Nobody else have a, the only um, motive he's claiming is because his son was in a boating accident that he allegedly got off and somebody vigilante decides I'm gonna kill him. Listen, if vigilante was out there, it would take up things so seriously. There's so many people who have gotten off light and so many things and no vigilante has ever gone for them, no matter what social media says. None, none. There is the same Sam Bankman Freed. He's done worse than that, in my opinion. Nobody don't go, you know, but vigilante don't. And, 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 and social media tear him down. I didn't even know about murder, son, until this old child. So, but I know about so many other people who have done so many people wrong and gotten away with it. And I don't have no vigilante going and trying to kill them and kill their mother. So, murder is where murder murdered his family. And he just need to just accept that. But he he's probably going for a hung jury. But anybody who don't know to put two and two together, the the the, 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 the prosecution is doing a shitty job still. The prosecution, I guess because we got we saw such a good, clean, concise, hard hitting, point hitting, um, complete um, prosecution or defense, sorry, a defense or prosecution, the team that was with um that that guy, Johnny Depp. His prosecution team was, was smart. They were witty, they were good, they hit the points. I guess because we watched that for so long and now seeing this guy, this guy getting the, prosec the, the, the prosecuting lawyer, getting, getting a little shaky and trying, just, you know, and, and missing some points, you know. I'm like, yeah, you, you get him there, but get, that's, I am not a lawyer. I thought of that. The guy just put himself in a corner, you know, give him an uppercut now. The guy put himself in a corner. That's the defense, guys. He's on the he's on the stand. The 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 He talks because he's so cocky. He talks himself into a corner, and instead of the guy give him an uppercut, he backs. He's totally oblivious to the fact that the guy is in a corner, and he just goes on to something else, and he goes on to this other thing and that. So there's too much information. Too many different things, too many circumstances. We see it, we know it, just stick to the one and just beat him with that. You understand me? So that's the thing there. Why did I digress? Anyway, Lori Guns, you did a great job. Um, born for dead, we're just ending uh, Kingston Farewell and we're gonna be moving on to um, meeting in Rikers soon. One love, one love. Stay blessed. God bless you all.
One Love.